Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, welcome to you know Texans Unfiltered. This one's a little different. This one's probably something I'm more excited about having a conversation with somebody that uh, that just is, is extremely good at what they do. Uh, is a dope person, which to me is really like the best part of having a conversation is just with genuine people. And we're fortunate to have Quincy Avery on the show today. So Quincy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. For sure, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about COVID. Um, you know, for me, I'm a dad of three. Uh, my son just graduated high school, went off to school, um, 14 year old and an eight year old. Um, what have you learned during COVID? Like, cause for me, it's a blessing. I'm, I, I get to have time with my kids all day long and mm-hmm. some people see it as, you know, stressful and, and too much to take on, but I've loved every moment of it. What, what have you learned the most out of COVID? It's been really unique. I spent a lot more time with my daughter than I probably would have in, in normal time. So I just got to really see her grow throughout. I mean, since March, we've spent, you know, basically every day together. So it's been really cool to spend that much time with my, my daughter. Um, I really dive into work. It's been interesting, like, navigating my workspace because, um, as people know, like, most of my time is spent on the field with a number of different athletes and just been trying to navigate that and trying to overcome those circumstances and trying to bounce back in the business world like I think a lot of many a lot of people are. Um lost a lot of money like when it first hit just because I had a camp that weekend and then since then it's just something like, all right, let me figure out um new and creative ways to not only help um help my guys but, but make sure that um, I can provide for my family. So it's been cool. Um did you ever get the trampoline up? So uh, I got the trampoline up, and we also we got another trampoline. So her 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 mom's mom sent us two trampolines. So that was a little bit more than I needed because she wants both the trampolines up. So now we have two trampolines right next to each other, and she'll unzip them and jump from trampoline to trampoline. So it's it's uh, fun times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, all right, so. Um, I, you know, during COVID, I've realized that I actually enjoy reading. Um, one of my one of my favorite uh, MCs, Royce the Five Nine, uh, put out an album called The Allegory this last year. It's one of my favorite albums, and the the album is based off of uh, the allegory allegory of the cave by Plato. And I just I just got that, and I'm starting to read that. What is Quincy Avery reading right now? I'm reading the Four Agreements, so I think that's cool. Kind of aligns with a lot of things that that I do and kind of how I operate, and just trying to like think about you know where I'm at with that. Um, I started reading a book called the, the Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Um, I, I, yeah, I quickly put that book down. I mean, it just it wasn't that it was a bad book, but it was kind of how I lived already, so I didn't really need that. So I'm always just bouncing around. Um, read a good bit of Tim Ferriss and some other stuff. So trying to, trying to figure out something new, new, yeah. you know, Larry. Absolutely. Um, well, that's awesome. All right. So let's, let's talk about kind of what's going on in the country right now. Um, you know, social injustice has been, um, you know, unfortunate times and unfortunate reasons for there to be a conversation about it. It's not, it's not something that just came out of nowhere. It came out of, out of nowhere because of, of the stuff that is happening Black people getting killed for no reason. Um, and, and people not being held responsible for it. And, and we say that on a day where it sounds like uh, in Louisville, uh, it'll be announced if there will be a, a court case against the officers that did kill Breonna Taylor. 
Um, and it's something you're passionate about. Um, it's probably one of, one of my favorite parts about following you is, you know, being a white man, I can't, um, I'll never, I'll never understand. I'll never be able to understand and I'll never try to, but I can always empathize and try to use my platform and who I am as a person to, uh, to educate and, and, and spread the word, you know, right now, what are your thoughts on, on how things are going and, and what can people do that they're not doing to start to try to understand more? Understand is a bad word. I guess start to force change in a way that we haven't seen in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure that I have the answer for that. Like how do we make like substantial change? But I think empathy is always a really good start. Um, and I think that it's hard. I think it's really hard for some people to even understand the things that um like black and brown people go through i can like vividly remember i didn't even get pulled over like the battery died in my car one time and uh a police officer came behind me and they stopped in an effort to help me but throughout that effort somehow it went from them trying to help me to them pulling a gun out um and putting me in handcuffs because the battery in my car died because she said i looked threatening but so it's like things like that so i, I don't i hate that people make it only about um when people get shot and killed, which is horribly unfortunate, right? And it shouldn't happen. But it's all those other instances that people don't necessarily hear about or see about, like, all those uh, micro injustices that we have to face and experience. And that happens day after day. Um, so it may not be reported in the same way, but it happens all the time. So people, like, living, literally living in fear every time they get pulled over by the police, not necessarily that they'll die, but that they may get roughed up or that they go to jail for something really stupid that a white guy wouldn't go to jail for. Like there's, that just happens time and time again. So trying to be empathetic to that. And, and I don't think that um, we, we get real change until people really try and listen and understand and like really hear what people are talking about. Like you may see like a flashy headline, like defund the police, but then saying, okay, what does that really mean? Not necessarily take the police away, but try and, um, allocate resources in ways that um, underprivileged communities can um, have the same access and privilege to do the things that they need to do so we don't need the police in the same way in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's no answer, right? But there's got to be a start. And I think that's the, I think that's really the frustrating part is that there doesn't seem to be a start. And that that's the part that that's so bothersome to me. Um, all right. So, you know, with Black Lives Matter and, and all, all the other things that are going on in the country, um, you know, I, I bought, I'll, t I'll tell the story, and this is what sparked this question in the first place, Quincy. Uh, you know, I bought a, me and my wife bought um, these Breonna Taylor shirts from, um, from an organization. And, um, you know, we wanted to just, when we go out, we want, we want people to know that this just isn't okay. People need to talk about it. It can't just go away. It needs to be a conversation. But then when, by the time we got our shirts, it was, uh, it seems that the agenda and the movement have, have kind of been snatched by by a race that really can't understand and are making it into something that it wasn't, you know, and it makes me not want to wear the shirt because I don't want to be grouped in. I don't want to be put in that group of, of white people that are using their opportunity to just kind of make this into a hashtag or make this into something that it, it should be bigger than. Um, do you have any thoughts on just kind of that and, you know, as far as allyship and what that looks like? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see a lot of people like, oh, like on the day that we're posting black pictures, like let's black out our screen and do all these different things. But 
when there's opportunities to really help, like, do you do those things? Like, are you sacrificing your actual time to try and help out in the communities that are experiencing this? Um, are you going on voting? Are you, do you care about those things? Um, so those are the things that are more impactful and more helpful, um, that I think people can be doing. And then, um, yeah, when we operate in, the, in that way, like we really try and help other folks. I think that says a lot more than, um, a hashtag or like, I mean, as you said, it's like a hijack of a movement because now that's a cool, right, um, thing to do. Like go out and go to a protest. Um, I, I honestly myself, I haven't went to a protest yet, but I think that I've tried to help out in a lot of other ways that I think are more impactful. Um, like I, I put my resources to things that I care about. Like I spend money to, um, make sure that the people I think, um, need and deserve help are getting that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. And it's, it's something that, um, we've seen time and time again in this country where certain things will be taken and, and, and just kind of rebranded. And, and that's the frustrating part for me. Um, all right. So voting, you know, it's, it's important this year, right? It's probably more important than it ever really has been. It's always been important, but this year's one, uh, you know, any, any, any message to, to the young kids and to everybody else that maybe hasn't voted in the past and why it's so important this year. Yeah. Um, I like many of other many other young kids like didn't always see the value in voting. When I was eighteen, nineteen, I think it was yeah, I, I wasn't voting then because I didn't see I didn't think that one vote mattered, but it's not just one vote, it's you and a collection of other people who can um come together to help out and kind of change the direction of this country. Um I think if we got a lot a lot more people to vote um in this past election, maybe we wouldn't be on lockdown since March or there's a lot of different things. And um, we're going to see a Supreme court justice seat be filled either before the next election or after the next election. And it's really, really important if for the things that, especially this generation says they care about that you go out and vote so we can protect some of the rights that um, we have been fighting long for. Um, there's just a lot of important women's issues and, and other issues that are going to be on the table really, really quickly. So if you guys um, really want to do things and not just hashtag and do cool things, but do things that are actually impactful, I think that it is very important that you guys get out and vote um, because it could it could change um, how your kids live and, and a lot of other people moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about Quincy Avery, the quarterback coach. The leader, the guy that, uh, you know, obviously in Houston, you're well known for your, your ties with Deshaun Watson. Um, talk a little bit about just the fulfillment you get. You know, we talked about it before we came on. You know, you, you basically, you, you work a job where every day you get, you get fulfillment. You know, a lot of people work their nine to fives. It's a, it's a job to them. It's, it's not a passion. It's something that they do to get paid. You're fortunate enough to be in a position where you get to help develop and, and watch young people progress and, and go through their lives and, and hit their career marks like, Deshaun signing his contract and things of that nature. Talk a little bit about what that fulfillment means to you. Yeah, there's there's nothing more gratifying than really helping somebody's dreams come true. And I, I don't think, like I say that literally, like there's kids who just dream their whole life of being that varsity starter or earning a college scholarship, like allowing them to actually go to college because some of the kids that I train wouldn't be able to do that if they didn't get a scholarship. So there's, there's I mean, second to like having my daughter – there's nothing to me cooler than literally seeing um, these kids' real dreams come true. I've seen so many kids cry about things that they've accomplished on the football field. Um, 
I got to watch one of my best friends, Deshaun, cry when he's won a championship. Um, he signed a contract. Like all those things are, are life-changing experiences um, for different reasons. But um, being there for all of those, um, my life is allowed to be full. Like I live a full life because I get to see so many of these different um, goals being met from all these different young men. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people don't get to say that they make an impact in the manner that you're able to, and I, I think it's amazing. Um, so quarterback session, you know, QB sessions that you did virtually over, you know, the summer and early spring, that, that's where we linked. And, um, you know, it was it, the best part of it for me was, you know, being able to garner and, and, and see the interest that my son has in it. You know, I think for me, that was really the biggest part was being able to see, is this something that he takes serious? Is this something that he's going to put the work in? He's going to watch. Um, and to me, it was that was really the best experience. So talk a little bit about the virtual sessions and then talk about, you know, QB takeover in general. Yeah, so I was really sitting at home. I was kind of frustrated myself just with everything that was going on, all the stuff that, you know, was getting canceled on my end. And I'm just like, I could sit here and whine and complain or I could figure out a way where I'm going to help out help help guys out so that they can, you know, when we come out of this thing, they're they're more suited and ready to play football. So just started thinking of ways to do that, um, got on Zoom and just started trying to share as much information about football as I could in those hour sessions and just trying to give a bunch of guys the things that they wanted to learn and um, got to talk about ball and got to help out a lot of young men in a lot of different ways so that they – I think I was teaching guys things that they might not learn from their high school coach or, or a coach in that manner just because they don't have time not because they don't know it um and, and we had the time at that point so I wanted to give them everything I could in terms of from defenses to how to throw how to throw a football correctly uh, and I thought I brought on some cool guests that they got to you know learn and understand from so that was that was really fun and now we're getting back on the field with quarterback takeover I'm in Houston I'm in Atlanta I'm in Charlotte I'm in Tennessee so I'm bouncing around from those four cities with a really great staff and we're able to keep uh, coaching up these guys so we can continue to get better. Yeah. Uh, so what do you say to the parents out there and, 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 you know, the young aspiring quarterbacks, you know, what is the best way for them to kind of take part in quarterback takeover and, and kind of what should their expectations be? Yeah. Um, to, to express interest in, in reaching out to QB takeover, you can just hit us up on social media. We'll, we'll point you in the right direction or go to the website, qbtakeover.com. But, um, your expectation should be to get pushed. And um, it's also the things that I do are really unwavering. Like, we don't settle for, like, mediocrity. Like, it's just not going to happen. So we'll quickly understand, like, do you fit in our program? And if not, then this isn't for you. There's a lot of other trainers that will point you in the direction of somebody else. So I think that's that's one of the best parts about the business that I've built is that we can turn away, guys, because if you're not here to work as hard as you can to, you know, fulfill the dreams that you say you have, if your work ethic and the things that your goals and your dreams aren't congruent, we aren't the people to help you. So we've built a culture of the hardest working quarterbacks on the planet. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to say you want to do something. We see it over and over again in life. But it's are you willing to put in that work to be able to reach the goals you have set? You know, everybody has big aspirations, but, you know, those aspirations are only aspirations until you actually apply that work ethic and, and effort to be able to meet those. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's what – that's what we're trying to do, you know, just trying to, you know, give every, give guys all the tools to, to, to reach their dreams and goals. 
Yeah. All right. So let's we're we're gonna get to Deshaun here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about. So Pass It On came out two weeks ago. Um, I'm about six chapters in. Uh, it really aligns with kind of some of the things I read, you know, read in general, whether it be servant leadership, um, you know, a lot of the John Gordon books I'm a big fan of, and Deshaun is as well. Um, you know, I guess going through that process with him and, you know, seeing him be able to put something like that together, and then, you know, with you as well, what is your leadership style like? Uh, I, I, don't, I'm, I have a, a a servant leadership style as well. Like I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And I want to show you through examples, um, how hard I'm willing to work to get the things that I say that I want. Um, so that you know that I'm not just saying it, but the things that I say, um, my walk is congruent with that. So that's kind of how I lead. I lead by example and I want people to see that and and understand exactly what we're doing and how we're going to move forward. So that's what I'm really thinking in that aspect. And then, just seeing him get an opportunity to write a book like that, I, I thought was really cool because he's went through as much as anybody in terms of the upbringing he's had and things he's had to deal with um, throughout his life. So for him to be able to pass on some of the lessons that he's learned to another generation, I think it's really important. Yeah, no, I, I agree. All right, so let's get into the Ravens game. Uh, we, we, we went over a couple clips before. Maybe we'll get into to the Aikens one. Um your thoughts on Deshaun's performance in the in the Ravens game, and I guess just the offense as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought he played solid. Like I, I see some of the criticism that you know people have about, I guess, how they played or how he played. Um, but I'm I'm always curious to ask, like, well, where did you guys think that? Like, how how did does a fan or an observer like view the things that he should be doing? Like, what did you think was his job there? Because there's an order of operations for quarterbacks that I think is really hard for people to understand. And, and I'll see concepts, and people get mad about him not throwing somewhere, like throwing behind him on, like, a sprint out, things like that. And I'm like, well, that's not how football works. And I know to a fan it may seem like that, but um, each play has, you know, a designated way to start your eyes and work the regression based on rotation of safeties, fronts, and all these different things that dictate to a quarterback. Like how should I start and how should I move forward from there? So I thought he did some things well, and I thought there's some things that he can improve on. Um, as with anybody, there's always things that you can improve on. And um, I'm interested to see, like, how they bounce back. They got a big game versus the Steelers this week. So going to see kind of how they move forward. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about – so you hear all these things, option routes, option routes. People – I don't think people fully understand what an option route looks like and what it is. Can you talk about that and uh, explain – what an option route is and, and what it means. Yeah, so I'll, I'll do like a global view. So I won't necessarily talk about just the Texans, but yep. just what, what an option route would be. There's two different kinds. There's like an option route that's based on the defender and his leverage and where we're going to break in, out, sit, right? So a lot of times you'll see like the slot receiver, he's going to run a six-yard route. Now if the defender's going to be on the outside of him, he's going to turn his shoulders flash, ball will be on his chest, right? If he's playing a man-to-man and he's on the outside, he'll get to that six-yard depth and sprint inside, staying on the move. And if he's inside leverage, he'll just turn and work outside, right? So that's an option. Or we have situations like this. Based on the pre-snap look, so that's going to say, okay, pre-snap look, where are the safeties? Is the middle open? Is the middle closed? Right? And then where's the low rotation? Like, is it cover two? Is it cover four? Is it one eye? Right? And that's like the interception that Tom Brady threw to Mike Evans versus the Saints, right? So Mike Evans read it as uh, cover two. Tom Brady read it as cover four. 
So Mike Mike Evans um, was running it, staying up the seam, and was going to let the ball bend him. Tom Brady ran it the other way, so he thought he was going to run like a fixed or a seam bender, and he's going to run a different way. So you have an idea on what you're supposed to do, and then based on the relation of the defense, right, you have a really good idea what's going to happen before the snap, but then as they move it, as you're running your route, you may do something different. So things like that take a little bit of time to get on the same page, start understanding what exactly we're doing and how we're going to do it. And I think that um, when you get like a new group of receivers or a quarterback goes to a new team, some of those things take a little adjustment and guys have to see things with the same set of eyes. Okay, perfect. I, I think that that'll give uh, everybody a little bit of a glimpse and understanding of what an option route actually means. Cause I think some people think that it's just uh, after the snap, a wide receiver or a tight end will just decide to run a completely different route when it's actually decided pre-snap and then they'll, it's all based on the coverage. Yeah. And it'll be little variations. It's not like, Hey, I can go run a curl at 12 yards. I can go run an 18-yard comeback, or I can run a big post. Like, that's not how option route right. works. Um, it's it's really the break is going to be at the same depth, and based on the leverage and the pre-snap look, you're going to be doing one thing or another. Okay. Um, all right, so, you know, you mentioned, you know, new guys. Uh, obviously, Deshaun does have, you know, quite a bit of new guys based on what he's had since he's been here. Uh, with Brandon Cooks, um, Randall Cobb, David Johnson, you know, I think – it seems Houston is frustrated and not understanding the fact that you played the Ravens and you played the Chiefs, had a whole didn't have a regular offseason to really implement an offense. You know, it takes time for those things to work each other out. Like it's not going to be an instantaneous thing. Yeah, I mean it's, it's difficult to install a whole a whole offense with a new group of guys who weren't there the the whole offseason. Like there was no OTAs, there was no mini camp. Right, those things were missed. Now if You'd had all those opportunities. I think that the Texans are in a spot now where they need to be – I mean, will they be competing with the Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs? Like, that's – it should be the goal. Like, we shouldn't be like, yo, we're going to play the, the Chiefs and the Ravens. We're not going to win any of those games. But um, with with kind of what happened this offseason, I think that, you know, you have to have some understanding. All right, now we go back to, you know – games in the AFC South and, and they got to start winning some games in their division and they got to make sure that they, they win that and then and then win some more games, give themselves a chance in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think coming into this season, I had no concerns of the offense. My, my biggest concern was the defense. And then what we're seeing from the defense is actually that there's there should be some optimism with the defense. It looks like Anthony Weaver has some has some really interesting things that he's doing and it looks like the players are in position to make plays and to me, that's really the, probably the, the brightest spot to take away from this. We know Deshaun is great. We know he's going to be great. We know the wide receivers are going to get on the same page, and we know that eventually the offense is going to be clicking. But the defense, to me, has really been the biggest surprise. Yeah, you got to be happy with some of the things that they've been doing uh, out there on the defensive end. Um, the first game, probably, I think they could have played a little bit better. But, you know, you're playing the Chiefs. I thought they did solid. And then versus the Ravens, I thought they held up really well until later in the game. So. They gave themselves a chance. Um, that big fumble down in, on their end of the field, I thought that was that was really costly. But it's really one or two plays in a game that really decide it, and it makes a lot bigger difference uh, than, than you may believe. So I think that they're going to be in a good spot uh, as we move forward. I agree. All right, so let's talk about the Marcus Peters interception. Uh, when Cooks breaks, uh, I was having a conversation with my buddy, and, you know, Cobb stopped running his route, right? So, I mean, he was basically at, at the line of scrimmage. Peters was dripped off. He's about 10 yards off. He's, he knows that 
Cobb's not going anywhere, and if he does, he'd rather give up the flat. He basically said that. You know, could Deshaun have gotten rid of that ball a little bit quicker on the break to Cooks to avoid that? What What did you see on that play? Um. So what I saw was it just looked like an over-concept, right? Some over-concept. The Ravens were like in a match defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think the, the part that – just the spacing there was a little bit difficult, but – I think people forget that these guys get paid millions and millions of dollars to make plays, right? Marcus Peters is getting paid a lot of money to do things like like he just did, and and he made a phenomenal play. Um, so on a crosser like that, you typically don't throw it till he passes the tackle on that side, right? Marcus Peters just sank a lot more than he should have, but as a quarterback, your eyes aren't to the flat there. Like you don't you don't see that. Right. They're in a zone coverage. He happened to match. So he should be matched on the back. You're thinking, okay, he's matched. I don't have to look there anymore. Then you work to your crosser. And then – but I think Deshaun, if he sees him out of the corner of the eye, he could make a different throw or move on to the next kind of progression. Um, I, I can't think of the play in my head. Like I haven't dove into that game. But I know that he's going to have something on the backside running an in-cut. So he could probably get there. But that's not something you typically see a corner make that play when he's matched up on a guy like that. Um, so I, I don't – I just want to tip my hat to Peters. Like, Deshaun may, may have been able to throw a little bit better of a ball. But, you know, you I think that's the thing that enough people don't think about is these are some of the best defenders in the world, and they also make great plays. Um, we've seen Deshaun and other people make great plays in the Texans organization and understand that somebody on the Ravens made a great play. It's not like he just threw a ball and hit a guy in the chest. Right. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, all right, so let's take us through that play that we went over with uh, in Aikens, because I want to. I, I just want them to hear kind of your thoughts on on this play, and that way they can see kind of what the way they should be looking at it instead of how they want to look at it. I think that's a, a big part of it. Oh, how like a, a, how a fan would want to look at it versus like how I see it in this play. Correct. Okay, so let's roll it one time. I just want to see it just so I make sure I'm, I'm saying all the right things and then go from there. This is a concept that basically everybody in football runs, and they all read it um, almost identically. So I'm not saying anything like from the Texan standpoint or anything like that. I'm just talking about not only how I've read this play before, but um, how people run this traditionally. Okay, so they got a flat – the flat control, right? The flat control is going to be the guy in the slot. I think that is going to be stills to the flat, yep. right? So that's so you got a flat control to your left. That's where you want to start your eyes, right? So that's one for a quarterback on a over over concept like this. So your eyes start to the flat, then they're going to work yourself back to the crosser, which is going to be I think Aikens here or whoever that is who runs that route of like 15 to 18 yards. He's going to be yep. running the over, and then outside of that. I think I was talking about this earlier. When you have concepts like this on the wide side, you'll typically have an in breaking or like a dagger or an in. And then what they do is since they don't have a back in the backfield, they use the receiver here to be the flat control on the right. So I think he's going to run that shallow cross. So eyes should be starting flat to the tight end to the end, right? So if your eyes start on the flat, then they go there one. Then the next place they're going to get to is that guy who's going to be running that over. So 
he shouldn't, like, I heard people say, like, as soon as he put his foot in the ground, let's give him the ball. Well, that's not how this play works, right? You don't, you can't throw this ball to this guy as soon as he puts his foot in the ground to start working. Yeah, he was open at that exact instant, but that's not where he should be looking. You see his eyes start to left, and as he comes back, he gets a little bit of pressure. Now, what you could say is, like, can he stay in the pocket? That would be a more realistic question to ask, but it's not he should have thrown the ball to Aikens right there. Like, that's just not how this works. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the offensive line. You know, last year it looked, you know, through the first seven weeks before Titus got hurt, it looked like we actually had a unit. It looked like the, the unit was playing well. There was some chemistry. Um, and then this year, you know, coming in, I think there was a lot of optimism that the offensive line would be better. Deshaun, you know, you're not allowed to say it or, or you won't say it. I'll say it. The offensive line was not good for the first two to three years that Deshaun was here. There's been a heavy investment in it. And, you know, you have players now that should they should be gelling. You know, is that just something that's going to take some more time now with, with Titus back and just the, all five starting? You know, what are your thoughts? I think that just as an O-line, you figure out how to play together and you figure out how to protect things. And I don't think that they did a bad job these past couple of weeks. Like, I think that there's things – I mean, I know there's things that everybody needs to improve on at, at every level of the game. So, um, I, I don't – there's nothing really negative to say about those guys in, in terms of that. But I think that – as you work together more with any group, you just get better, right? Um, Deshaun, I forget the center's name off the top of my head, but, yeah, they, they start seeing things on the same page so that they can identify protections the same way and they're working out to the same guys and you don't have any of those type of problems, right? That, so that, those are really the things that help is the continuity of everybody seeing it. And I know I talked about the quarterbacks and receivers seeing things with the same set of eyes, like how do they rotate on those option routes in, in – um, but when the line can do that too, where they see, see uh, blitzes and pressures and they can pass things off and um, navigate those protections really well, I think that, that that's going to help them out. And I think that they're getting there and it's, it does take some time to gel because it's, it's five guys and I think that they've had some movement in terms of guys who've been in and out of the lineup. So it's hard. I mean, but the cool thing about it is you got a, a guy you know you can hang your hat on in Tunzel every single week. You got one of the best tackles in football, so yep. um, they'll build on that. Yep, no, I agree. All right, so before I get you out of here, I want to talk about, you know, this is just me. I, I would assume it's a little bit of you, but, you know, you're around young guys all day, all day long. You're around young guys. You know, they're listening to the baby. They're listening to Gunna. They're listening to, you know, Young Thug, things of that nature. Are you able to relate to that stuff, you know, when you're on the field and you're, and you're practicing with them? In the back of your mind, are you like, can we get something, you know, can we get some nods or could we get, you know, what what is it that you're thinking at that time? And then outside of that, after that, what, do you, what are you listening to now? So you are talking about some of the more mainstream guys. And those yep. guys are actually relatively, you know, I can listen to most of them. Okay. If you're out there with some high schoolers or some young guys and they really start playing some of that yippity app, you're like, yo. This is awful. Like, there's rappers who intentionally, like, off, rap off beat nowadays. I'm like, yo, I'm okay with a lot of things. I'm not okay with this. I'm not going to listen to your off beat rap. Well, that's just not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have any blue face out there. Like, sure, I got to draw the line somewhere. Um, so as long as they're doing a decent job, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with it. I can vibe a little bit. Um, but actually, I've, I've turned out to listen to Lil Baby almost more than anything else. Wow. Little Baby, I used to really, really like Jay-Z. That was my favorite artist growing up. I stopped listening to Jay-Z just because of some of the stuff he was saying was bothering me a little bit. Yep. 
um, some of the things that he did with the NFL. So I'm like, oh, I'm off. I'm off Jay Z. Um, so I'm I'm always listening to different folks. Uh, oh, cool. to, yeah, we're 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 in it. Like I'm I'm here to listen to music. Just can't listen to Jay Z and Kanye anymore. I'm off those two. Yeah, those they've they've kind of they've they kind of reservation. There's nothing <laughs> that you can do. I, I've just been listening to Cole, J Cole a lot. Like that's like I think that's like my favorite rapper. I'm uh, all about I've, J Cole. I just I don't know what it is like he's just evolved man like you know coming from you know Dollar in a Dream and and mm-hmm. uh, you know Grown Simba and then now he's really just as a man he's just turned that into like a completely different thing and there's a message and there's so much that he does he's such a great storyteller yeah and I, I would love J Cole if I'm like driving or golfing or doing any of those things like it's harder to be like upbeat and listen to J right. Cole Not, like on a football field like I can be in a good mood and listen to J Cole but I can't do it on a football field. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Quincy, why don't you tell them where they can find you, um, you know, and, uh, you know, QB Takeover website, Twitter, Instagram, things of that nature. And, um, you know, anything else you guys have coming up? I know that you're working on a lot of creative stuff. You're, you're not a box thinker. You're not going to settle for just the, the <laughs> um, you know, tell us kind of what we can expect. Yeah, we got some really cool things headed up, headed down the line. I'm doing something really cool with this draft prep class. I got um, three really good guys in this upcoming NFL draft. We're going to do some cool things. Um, I'm, I'm going to set it up in a way that is going to make them fully encompassed to do all the things necessary to um, not only be a franchise quarterback, but um, be able to lead a franchise off the field. So I think that's really cool. And we'll we'll give people glimpses and insight there. And then um, a few other things that we're doing. Um, I got some stuff for, for high school and college guys. Um, I got this NIL plan, so I got I got some cool things on that front. But if you're looking for anything that I'm doing, you can always go to qbtakeover.com. That's our website, and then you can always you can find me on all social. All you got to do is search Quincy Avery, and you will find uh, you'll find me. Yeah, and I think if anybody's looking to learn, you know, the quarterback position, you know, you have tons of stuff on YouTube as well. You know, and there's tons of drills, there's tons of things that you can work with with your kids, you can work with on your own. Like that's one of the things I've actually taken from it is you know going out there when I'm with my kid. And implementing some of the things that you're teaching, I don't expect to be in the NFL. I don't, I don't expect to, to go to college and start all over. But I think going through the motion of it and understanding it a little bit, you know, like for me, the hips, like I, I didn't even realize it. You know, it was all upper body for me at first. Yeah. And I realized that the torque and where it comes from, like it's little things like that that make it better. Right? So now I'm thinking I should go, I should go to the Y and I should join one of those flag football leagues because I could light it up. You can probably dominate a flag football league. I, I, yeah, we, you're good there. I, I can help you out. I can give you a few more pointers and tips yeah. that can uh, really help you outside of the pocket. We'll figure it out. Yeah, see, there we go. Okay. <laughs> All right, All right, Quincy. I appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll talk soon, and uh, thank you. All right, for sure. Appreciate it.